Welcome to Times New Women, a podcast where we talk about what's going on in the world for women today. I'm Molly. And I'm Ellie. And thanks for being with us. Hey, everyone. It's Molly. Hey, and Ellie. And we're back for another episode of Time's New Woman. We are so glad to have you here with us. And I'm so glad to be back with you, Ellie, today to talk about sexism, which is a huge topic that we will not exhaustively be discussing. But in true form, we'll just bring up some interesting points that we've read about it. And uh, yeah, I've learned a lot looking into this topic. So hopefully we can share some of that with you. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to digging into this more. Uh, Molly, do you want to start with the definition of sexism or do you want me to? Yeah, absolutely. So sexism is any expression, act, word, image, gesture based on the idea that some persons, most often women, are inferior because of their sex. Um, And I think there's a lot to unpack with that statement, but I know we had Mm -hmm. like a little bit of an outline to talk about it. Did you hit on any different points when you were looking for a definition? Uh, Well, that definitely is like the main definition. And then I just saw other points that, you know, sexism is perpetuated by all major institutions. So it's experienced or it's operated at the individual and institutional level. So I think that's important to note. And another definition I found was from a philosopher, Kate Mann, who said that sexism rationalizes and justifies patriarchal norms, which I think is also important to note. We'll probably talk a bit about the patriarchy today. A little bit. And yeah, it's it's like in contrast with misogyny, the branch which polices and enforces patriarchal norms. Mann says that sexism often attempts to make patriarchal social arrangements seem natural, good, or inevitable, so that there appears to be no reason to resist them. Oh my God, that's such a good definition. Oh my gosh. Yes. Wow. That's a good point to make it seem like a common sense, you know? Yeah. Like this is natural. This is normal. Like there's a reason that there are these differences and anyway. Yeah. These inherent differences in men and women. And I have to say this like might be so cringe, but the whole time I knew we were going to talk about this this weekend. All I could think about was, let's talk about sexism, baby. Oh. Let's talk about the patriarchy. It's <laughs> just like trying to make up a song because when you're like, we're going to talk about the patriarchy. And I was like, oh, every time we come back to this, yes. like propping oh up this institution. But thank you. That's a good point that it's also enacted at the individual and like systems level because it makes it harder to dismantle at the end of the day. Yes. Um, also, can we record you singing that? And that can be our intro, <laughs> JK, but it should be. Oh my God. So cringe. Amazing. But I just like, I'll think of, I'll think of a few more lines for it. We'll have to get someone that doesn't sound like a frog, maybe to sing it. So sorry. Anyways, back on topic. But, um, one thing actually you brought up to me, which I didn't know was, uh, the types of sexism. I thought, oh my gosh. Yeah. So I know there's a few different ones if you wanted to get us yeah, started on that. Yeah, that is, oh my gosh. When I learned about this a couple of years ago, I was just like, everything makes more sense now. Like, okay, so ambivalent sexism, 
which is a term that was coined by Peter Glick and Susan Fisk in 1996. And that describes how stereotypes about women can be both positive and negative. And I, oh, so it's broken down into hostile sexism and benevolent sexism. And hostile sexism is kind of like what we generally picture as sexism. It's really angry, explicitly negative attitudes towards women. And yeah, very like obvious forms of sexism. And then benevolent sexism, it's like a sneaky sexism. And this is what, when I learned about it, I was like, oh, it's like when you have an interaction in the office and you're left with this like really icky feeling and you don't know why. <laughs> and that's benevolent sexism. So it's seemingly positive, yet still somewhat unsettling comments and behaviors. A personal example was uh, in one of the offices I worked in, having a coworker say like, women look so great in skirts. Like it sounds like a positive, but it's so cringy and creepy. And it's just about keeping the hierarchy, the gender hierarchy that men are superior and have more status. And by keeping women in skirts and beautiful that we're remaining in the lower status, I feel like I'm going to go on a rant, but. <laughs> oh my God, rant away. I feel like it's, that's such a good way to describe it when you get that ick, that mm -hmm. feeling, and you don't know what it is. And you're like, something is wrong with this. And you're right. Looking at this, I had not heard of the term benevolent sexism before. And it's so helpful to me to see that now I wish, you know, like 15 year old Molly could have heard this, you know, going into like all of the jobs. Like, I feel like that's when we started work and yeah, those behaviors that, you know, limit women and put them in boxes and absolutely the ideas that women are weaker by nature or, you know, fragile, innocent, I don't know, all of these things. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I think one study that I looked at for this, uh, a 2020 study looking at US and UK participants found people that believed in humanity's dominance over nature and who saw women as being more closely connected with nature than men were more likely to exhibit benevolent sexism. So I think like we're talking about the patriarchy again. So it's just seeing like you as the pinnacle of everything. And then everyone is below you. So like women are below you, nature, you know, everything is for you to dominate and control. And it's just this attitude. I think that we see, I don't know, even with climate change, right? Like instead of honoring nature it's just something to be exploited and I feel like maybe we see that with like women in a lot of ways like women's bodies exploited for mm. the media anyways all of this is to say it looks like all of these things are connected and I work with a physician who is a climate activist and she's like over the years become really engaged and she started all these groups and talking to her I was like that's incredible but you know like my jam is really feminism and women's rights and she was like yeah, but Molly, all of those things are connected under capitalism and exploitation. Like the patriarchy is a direct uh, result of that and the patriarchy benefits capitalism. I was like, hold on a minute. So these attitudes intersect at a lot of places. I thought that was uh, a good point, but also thank you for pointing that out. Even the term of the skirt comment, I think, <laughs> you know, on one hand, like fairly innocuous, definitely not totally innocuous, but fairly innocuous. But when you look at that, you know, built on women look better in skirts, women should be taking the notes in meetings. Yes. Women aren't suitable for leadership positions. You know, they can't make the hard decisions and the strategic decisions. Like I think those things build on each other. So it's, yes. 
Um, one more study I just wanted to quote that found uh, another 2020 found that men who endorsed benevolent sexism were also more likely to support policies that limit the freedoms of pregnant women. Oh um, <laughs> surprise. Uh, so yeah, I think seeing women as fragile and in need of protection, you could make a, a leap to say that you know better than them to make decisions about their bodies. So as, as much as the term benevolent belies kind of like a harmless atmosphere there, there's a lot of harms that come out of it. But mm-hmm. can oh, we sure. quickly touch on hostile sexism? I know we should know what that is, but just in Oh, case, yeah, yeah, for sure. Do you want to talk about it? Yeah, I think we're seeing, I mean, I don't know, social media wise, if you've been watching what's happening right now, but, you know, Andrew Tate on social media, this like absolute raging misogynist and he's really started this movement of men behind him just say like saying horrible things about women but we see where hostile sexism can go and the movement that it can start so anyways hostile sexism to backtrack a bit um which you had said are beliefs and behaviors that are openly hostile uh towards a group of people based on their sex and gender and misogyny is an example of this misogyny being uh, the hatred of women. And in this case, rather than viewing women as innocent, fragile, in need of protection, people who have hostile sexist views may view women as manipulative, deceitful, um, needing to be kept in their place. And I think people who I've said this before in this conversation, perpetuate hostile sexism, want to preserve men's dominance over Mm -hmm. women and people of other marginalized genders. So typically they will oppose gender equality um, and they see movements like this as a threat to men and the systems that benefit them. So it's uh, a pretty terrifying form of sexism. Not that they all aren't terrifying. Yeah. Sorry, that's just reminding me of there's a theory in psychology, precarious manhood theory. I don't know if you've heard of it, but no, that's just reminding me of it that, yeah, um, I can't remember whose theory it is, but precarious manhood theory, if you look it up, you'll find it's about how manhood must be earned and like it has to be continually like validated. And so men fear they're going to lose this manhood status and all the benefits that come with manhood. And so I think, yeah, precarious manhood theory, it sounds so much in line with this like hostile sexism of trying to like keep the order and keep their status and keep women subservient. And Wow. I've not heard that, but like also what an amazing title for that. I just think <laughs> like whoever came up like brilliant and it's true, but I think I don't know if this is accurate, but it also seems to like speak to masculinity and malehood as a, an ongoing performance yes. of characteristics that society say that they should be performing, which must be exhausting. You know what I mean? To mm-hmm. have to always be trying to maintain this, uh, you know, I, as much as we talk about how exhausting it is to exist as a person identifying as a woman in the world, uh, having to constantly perform masculinity to like, you know, the very narrow scope of that. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I was thinking about when we were talking about hostile sexism is, you know, we've seen a lot in the news recently about domestic violence mm-hmm. and hostile sexism, according to research, is a risk factor for sexual harassment and gender-based violence. And um, 
Another study found that men who endorsed hostile sexism were more likely to be physically abusive towards their partners. And uh, a 2019 study found a positive link between hostile sexism and sexual assault. And uh, people who endorsed hostile sexism were more likely to believe in rape myths uh, that place the blame on sexual assault on the victim and not the perpetrator. Uh, so I think when we talk about dismantling the patriarchy and battling things like hostile sexism, the ripple effects from this, I don't even think we can comprehend how far uh, these things go. So especially, you know, precarious malehood theory, it's a, a job that I think everyone needs to be engaged with because the effects of it we can see in society. And I know in a lot of the shooter scenarios, one of the early indicators of violence was violence at home and the link between those things. So anyways, I feel like hostile sexism is a seed that grows mm -hmm. into, you know, intimate partner violence, domestic violence, and then sometimes goes out from there. So it's within everyone's interest to take this seriously and do their part to battle it. But anyways, I will save my um, soapbox maybe until the end. <laughs> but did you have any uh, points you wanted to add for hostile or should we move to? Uh, well, I was just, I didn't look it up. I don't know if you saw any stats, but I thought there was a link between hostile and benevolent sexism. Like if someone's high in hostile sexism, that they might also be high in benevolent sexism so that they do kind of go hand in hand. That makes sense. I think I, I did see that. I don't okay. know, but I think I think you can cycle back and forth between them. Mm -hmm. And I think maybe you would place women in one or the other, you know, in terms of like, oh, you know, what is it? The like, oh my gosh. Okay. Virgin or whore kind of thing. Yes, yeah. Exactly. I, that's, yeah. Going back to gender roles, probably women who are performing the gender role as expected by society might experience more benevolent sexism. Like, oh, you look good in that skirt. And then hostile sexism is definitely experienced by women who defy gender roles. So who go uh, against gender roles. Exactly. Exactly. Right. I found I found my little point for this and it said some research argue researchers argue that hostile and benevolent sexism support one another as part of a mm. system. And exactly what you said, benevolent sexism offers women protection mm -hmm. in exchange for them adopting a more subordinate role. While hostile sexism targets those who deviate from this, you could have written this. this I is could have. <laughs> but I think this also touches on, I think also when we were talking about internalized misogyny and women in corporate settings that have, or in all settings, when I say corporate, because that's my experience, but women who have adopted these typically male characteristics um, and that internalized misogyny against women mm -hmm. to survive in those situations. And that's, that's an example of someone, you know, just seeking protection in a system that's, you know, actively working against them. Yeah. Okay. I thought about, I, I was going to bring this up before we even got into the different kinds of sexism, but mm. just thinking about where it comes from. And we use the term patriarchy a lot. So if anyone is not super familiar, I just want to kind of like take a few steps back. We tend to refer to gender and we talk a lot about women and men, but we know gender is a spectrum and it's not so simple. But in the West, a lot of stereotypes are based on this like binary gender of men and women. And not every society has the same kind of gender hierarchy, but a patriarchal society is one that has brings status and power to men 
more so than women in the West is one. So men have more access to the things that bring status in our society, which in our case is contributing to the economy, basically. So women are continuing to perform more of the domestic responsibilities. And so that's keeping them in a lower status than men generally. So I just wanted to like go a few steps back and like that kind of like sets us up a bit, I guess. No, that's a good point. Like, where is it? Where are we getting these ideas from? And thank you. I don't think we ever actually defined patriarchy. I just, it's such a part of my lexicon every day that I think I just assume everyone is. No, but I remember like a few years ago, hearing the term being thrown around a lot. I'm like, I don't really know what it means, but I guess I should just start saying it too. (laughs) But yeah, so it's helpful to like hear that. And then also just because I talk a lot about gender norms and gender roles. And I think I talk about it like everybody knows what it means. But again, so I think we did talk about this in another episode, but a little review. So gender roles are kind of like the expectations of men and women in our society. And men are expected to behave kind of agentically and take on more leadership roles. And women are expected to show more communal traits and take on those more nurturing roles. So men are expected to be the leaders and um, politicians and um, those kind of roles, while women are expected to be like daycare workers and nurses and we need those roles, but those are the roles that have lower status in our society. And so to go further, like women who try to, not try to, but who are defying these roles by taking on other kind of occupations, like a woman who wants to be a leader, she's going to face certain backlash and then be disliked for like going against her, the expectations of what a woman should do. So she has to work twice as hard to be deemed competent but then she's disliked because she's performing better than her male peers. And that's a no, no in society. So it's just like big lose, lose situation. Uh, literally silently screaming while listening (laughs) to you talk. It's just, I, I wanted to talk about this as well, because one of the places I have witnessed the most sexism, uh, through my life has been at work. Hmm. Um, because I think you move through a lot of really different spheres in your work, you know, you go from one workplace to another, um, and they're all kind of their own little ecosystem, but there's a lot of everyday sexism in quotes at work and exactly what you said, you know, evaluating women less positively than men. And like, we've seen this time and time again in job applications, promotion processes, ignoring or talking over women. Don't get me started on that. (laughs) Um, sidelining women in social and work networks. And I, I, I have seen this personally with, you know, the men that go golfing together and women aren't invited to mm-hmm. that or like the sports chat and things like that. Comments about how women dress, which you uh, touched on and how they're naturally better at some tasks, not offering work opportunities out of misplaced concern that they not <sighs> they might not be able to manage it. You know, um, you know, assuming women can't travel because they have kids or work late because they have kids. So when women, you know, come back from mat leave, they're not given as many opportunities because people automatically assume that they don't want that or they can't handle it, you know, and just dealing with those unwelcome comments at work. And I think all of these things play into the gender pay gap, which is, mm-hmm. you know, when we're talking about uh, how the patriarchy operates and you're right. Like the gender pay gap has in Canada, at least remained 
fairly constant for at least the last 15 years. Um, and I know this is broken down by race as well. Like it's stratified. It's not a universal experience, but most of the discrepancy can be attributed to education, occupation, segregation, and work experience. So when we're talking about um, occupation segregation, it's what you're saying, like women going into these quote unquote, you know, lower paying careers, it's like a chicken and an egg, but I think the lower paying careers, they're lower paying because they're dominated by women. So they're Mm -hmm. less valued. Like there's nothing, Mm -hmm. there's nothing inherently, like they're not doing as much work or the jobs are not as skilled. It's that they're largely employed by women. So we had talked about this before about the exit of women out of the workplace during the pandemic Mm -hmm. and women in the labor force. (laughs) Yes, exactly. It's at a 33 year low. Um, and like, even when women come back from the pandemic, they're saying that they're going to face an unemployment penalty, which is a wage cut Mm -hmm. that, you know, you would get when you're taking an absence from work. Mm -hmm. Um, and the stat is always in my head, but when we're talking about women applying for promotions or negotiating their wages, that study where women will only apply for a job if they have a hundred percent of the qualifications yes. and men only need to reach 50%. So <laughs> it's, it's so unbelievably um, frustrating. And finally, uh, researchers found, uh, you're going to fall out of your chair. This is so surprising. Researchers <laughs> found that men are more likely to promote men, especially of the same ethnicity. Uh, oh, shocker. <laughs> like who would have guessed? Uh, so, you know, we're talking about diversity at the top of organizations. People just promote themselves. And mm-hmm. like, I also think you can't put one person in there and expect them to do the work of diversity. Oh. You know what I, it's just, <gasps> Oh my gosh. Okay. Sorry. Another side (laughs) tangent. I just read something about how like, so like tokenism. Yeah. Just having like that one person to represent a whole group or a small, like, you know, 10% of employees being women or people of color. And it's just like, so that's considered tokenism when it isn't a true representation, but having that tokenism actually improves the appearance of the gender equality for that organization so i'm like are these organizations do they know that and are they doing that like as a way to be like okay look at us trying and we know that people will perceive us to be more equitable just by having this little one and this little representation we don't have to do anymore like i'm just are organizations just, uh, doing the bare minimum yes. to be equal? I mean, <laughs> is that the question? No, no but like, I'm like, I'm being more, even more. Um, is it like a conscious like, decision? Like, do they know? Yeah. yeah. I mean, Maybe they don't know. But yeah, it might come down to just like, oh, look, the little bit that we did, did improve the perceptions of our work climate. So great. We're doing the right thing. But it's, yeah, not to be like a cynical person, but I think in large part, like organizations want to make money and they want to continue Mm -hmm. making money and to make people happy. And one of those things is to check a box. Like I would like to think there are people in these organizations that genuinely want to see more representation and greater diversity and, you know, voices at the table and people there. But I also think that a lot of the people at the top are usually old white men and are Mm -hmm. old white men deeply committed to equality and (laughs) equity. Like I, I'm not sure. So, uh, I don't think you're really out of left field in that, (laughs) (laughs) that guess maybe we'll see, prove me wrong. 
yeah. everyone. So what should we touch on? I know. Sorry. This is a very like, I like this. It's more conversational today. <laughs> Absolutely. I just, you know, I, I know we want to move on to maybe like the impacts, yeah. but I was thinking about, we've talked about a lot of examples, but one I just, I had to touch on was, I think you saw a lot of these articles too, during the pandemic, we're talking about how women uh, were leaving the workforce. They were shouldering so many care responsibilities. And uh, there was a great quote I thought was sometimes men are written out of the story altogether. Since the pandemic began, there have been torrents of stories about how women's careers have been crushed or they have left their jobs altogether because they're doing the lioness's share of domestic labor, especially child rearing in heterosexual households. In February, uh, NPR opened a story with the assertion that this work has, quote, landed on the shoulders of women as if that workload hadn't fallen, mm. as if the workload had fallen from the sky rather than been shoved there by their spouses. Um, and when we talk about, you know, women are more naturally caring and, you know, they're the nurturers. So like, and also if a woman is making less money than her partner in a relationship, which we just said is statistically likely, mm -hmm. then who's the person that's going to step back from their career yeah. when you need the childcare or the elder care or things like that. So we can really see how I want to say catch 22, you know, you're kind of scammed at a lot of different points in this scenario. And then you have articles like this that are like, where's the, where are in the heterosexual couples, where are the men in this scenario? Mm -hmm. Like, why are the women, why is there a she session? So it's all of these um, impacts. And to add to the catch 22. <laughs> oh my God, oh my another God. thing. Yeah. So in heterosexual couples where the woman is the breadwinner, that also doesn't fare well. The, yeah, like, I okay, what are the stats? It's like men are going to feel emasculated men are going to cheat more and just cite feeling emasculated because their partner is making more money like there's and there's all sorts of like this is the media doesn't help like the headlines are very geared towards making it seem like a negative situation if you're if the female is the breadwinner and it's it's just gross okay Why? so like the, there's really no way to come out on top no so cool. Yeah, woman, if the woman is making more money, you might be doomed. And if you're making less money, then you're just doing all the work at home. Oh my <laughs> God. Uh, <laughs> I mean, should I revert to my like teen years of thinking like a communal living thing might be like the best <laughs> scenario here? Like, yeah, right? I wonder. Like, have everyone contribute to the labor because this seems like a, a total scam in every every sense of the word so yeah. but thanks for bringing that up because yeah you might think that <laughs> becoming the be breadwinner is a solution but uh no it it really speaks to the fact that it can't fall on the individual to change yeah. things right like yeah. it's a systemic problem so we need to work on fixing the upstream issues and the system level issues because you doing it individually. This was a good thing I read, I read about this too, where we talk about imposter syndrome and that places all of the onus on the woman to be fixing, you know, a system that she's operating under that doesn't take her as seriously as men, uh, you know, and erodes, erodes her leadership capabilities and, you know, doesn't promote her as much. So I, I have always, read a lot about imposter syndrome and battling it. And this is the first time I've looked at something and they've said, well, yeah, this is 
an individual trying to battle against a systemic problem. Mm. I was like, it was a scam all along. <laughs> another scam. <laughs> another scam. I don't know. Like I need another word for it, but I just no, truly I <laughs> like how many girl boss blogs and books are there about like battle your imposter system, rise through the glass ceiling oh, to the top. My right. God, Molly. Yeah. <laughs> Let's do a whole episode on the scam of messaging. Oh my God. True. You might have a bit to say about that. So <laughs> a, little bit. a little bit. Uh, yeah. Stay tuned. That's a great idea yeah. because we bought Hashtag, into it. It's a scam too. <laughs> <laughs> it's all a scam. It's all a scam. Uh, yeah, that was like a, a, a solid decade at least of just hardcore thinking like, yeah, you were going to sw- float your way to the top of the garbage mm-hmm. pile of what we're working with. So yeah. that's a great idea for the next one. I love it. Um, <laughs> Should we talk about the impacts of sexism? Yes. Surprise, it's harmful. I like, know. <laughs> I was like, what are the harm? Yeah, the impacts. Harmful. <laughs> Produces but, feelings of worthlessness. Yes, yes, exactly. And you touched on this earlier, but it it obviously affects women and girls, but mm-hmm. it can also affect uh, anyone that doesn't conform to mm-hmm. their gender roles or norms as well. So it's it's not just a problem for people identifying as women. One thing I thought was really interesting looking into this was who is disproportionately impacted by this. And one thing I was thinking of is politicians and public figures. Mm. And I've seen a lot about the level of threats and hatred that they get. And one of the stats was 58% of women elected to parliament have been the target of sexist attacks on social networks. And the harmful impact of sexism can be worse for some women and men due to their ethnicity, age, disability, social origin, religion, gender identity, sexual orientation, or other factors. And it seems like being in the public eye is just, you know, opens women up to like another level of hatred. And I know it's been a huge issue and it also probably prohibits women from entering politics as well, like Mm -hmm. that fear of being publicly targeted. So we, when we talked about people trying to keep, you know, people in their place in society because those systems stay in power and they're benefiting, we can see this, right? Like anyone that looks different uh, or, you know, coming up in politics, trying to make a difference, they're battling against this tidal wave of like hatred and violence Mm -hmm. and just to perpetuate the system. So Anyways, it was, that was one thing I thought about too, was, oh, here's how the system continues is by women in the public eye being targeted to a level that men absolutely are not. Yeah. Two examples. I'm thinking of Hillary Clinton, who experienced so much backlash when she was running. And also a closer to home example, I have a friend who's a mayor of a place, I won't say where, in Ontario, and she's experienced this type of harmful sexual harassment or you see it everywhere but it just sucks it's so frustrating it's a good point and I just I think it's exhausting to see all of the places that sexism is making itself visible at every level of our existence another another point I wanted to make is the like continuum of violence and I this idea was something I read from Rebecca Solnit Uh, where it's saying like, you know, violence can start with a joke. So individual acts of sexism might seem benign, but they create this climate of intimidation, fear, and insecurity that leads to more of an acceptance of violence, mostly against women and girls. And we have, when we talk about the continuum, so, you know, 
sending a, a violent tweet to a mayor who is female identifying. And then all of those things build up and you create mm-hmm. this world and this uh, climate where women don't feel like they deserve to have a voice or they're safe to have a voice. It's all the pieces. So when we're exhausted, of course, we're effing exhausted. Like look at all of this rape joke, right? Oh to domestic violence, to all of these things exist as a result of the system and they're contributing to it, like some more than others. But I think moving on to, if you're okay to move on to what do we do about it? Yeah. Yes. Calling it out, calling it out when you see it, even like, even if it's a stupid joke, call it out because that makes it visible. It makes that system visible. So language and communication are really important and maybe pull that person to the side. You don't need to call them out in public, but any comment like that, I think is so important. Uh, And I realize that's putting the labor on the person that experienced the harm. So if you're in a group and someone does that and you're not even directly the target, maybe take it on yourself Mm -hmm. and it's less of a risk for you to say, you know what, that wasn't cool. That wasn't appropriate. Mm -hmm. Like we're not doing that anymore. Same with the skirt guy that you were talking about. Like someone, it would have been unbelievable if another male uh, there was just like, not cool, dude, don't do it. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, not a cool comment because putting that labor on the person experiencing the harm just makes it, I don't know. I mean, all is to say is like, be a good ally to people when you see that as well, but call it out, call it out and name it and stop it. That's Mm -hmm. my contribution to that. Yeah. And one thing I've heard in the past about like (laughs) trying to make the person who made the comment uncomfortable is like, you just ask them to repeat themselves. Oh my God. (laughs) Yes. I've heard of this. Yes. I I haven't tried it, but I would love to. And then they just kind of Hopefully they'll feel more awkward and ashamed and realize it was inappropriate. Yes. And like slither away to the hole that they came out of. Very true. Oh, that's brilliant. Although I wonder, I guess, what would happen if you asked them to repeat themselves and they see nothing wrong with it? I guess then you go to the next step of saying, uh, that's not okay. Yeah, <laughs> you're right. There are people that would genuinely be like, well, that's just a, a nice compliment about women in Ugh. skirts. And you're like, is that true? But you're right. I Especially I've heard of this being very effective in meetings mm. when people say something like to the side and you're like, I'm sorry, could you repeat that? I didn't catch that. And then they have to like re-say it. You've drawn people's attention to it. So that is a really, really great strategy. I need to look more into that because I remember reading a lot about it. Mm. Um, but I have to say, like, that's something I really struggle with is yeah. you would know the bystander effect. Like, how many yeah. seconds do you have to say something before you don't say something? Like, there's a study where it's like, it's like 0.2 seconds where something happens. If you don't do something right away, you're not going to do something. So I'm, I want to train myself to become so automatic in calling it out that I don't mm-hmm. have that delay and thought process being like, oh my God, what if it's uncomfortable and whatever? But it's not my job to make people comfortable. So, what I was going to say is also really bad news, of course, for oh. women, but we do need to call it sexism. I 100% agree. We need to call it out when it happens. Hopefully that's different than this stat, but women who discuss gender inequality in the workplace are actually disliked by their coworkers and less likely to be befriended by their male coworkers. And so that's not looking good. <laughs> Oh, I, I fully agree as someone who has a reputation for being a feminist as if that's like a bad thing, but Uh, yeah, no, 
people are really threatened by that. People are really precarious manhood theory. Yeah. Oh my <laughs> god. Men are worried about losing their status. <laughs> Can we just get t-shirts with that on it? Like <laughs> yes, I, yes. I would wear that. And it's true though, because yeah. I can see that, but also it's in a lot of situations, I'm trying to tell myself it's not my job to be liked respected. Yes. Mm. But liked, no. Mm, So if it's between, yeah, yeah, if it's between me being liked and sitting silently while I see microaggressions happen, Mm. not so much. The person I talked about earlier, the climate activist has been really inspirational for me because she's really been on that journey too. So I have seen her in some really tough situations call out microaggressions and she's she's so committed to that and she's so committed to flagging those things that it's given me a lot more space to do that so yeah that's where I'm trying to come from a lot of the time is I I don't need I don't want to sound like a reality person you know where they're like I didn't come here to make friends but like (laughs) you know it's such a trope in reality tv uh but yeah I would much I would much prefer to be respected uh if it was between the two of them, uh, because I think it's so detrimental to your emotional, mental, spiritual well-being to live uh, in a place that doesn't align with your values, where you see things like that happening and you don't say something. That's been the last couple of years of my life is dealing with that, and I haven't really figured it out yet. But just to take it on a tangent, yeah, people don't like being called out for their shitty behavior or the person with gender inequality, and especially for me being on the other end of it, for making mistakes and being called out, that's uncomfortable and it Mm. sucks and it destabilizes you. And I don't ever want to offend someone or hurt someone. So I've absolutely made some mistakes where people be like, you know what, that wasn't the right way to handle that. I'm like, oh my God, it like, it really throws you. So I can see those people, you know, maybe not being the most popular, but doing the hard work to make, make things a little bit better. Mm. Um, Can I touch on one more thing about pay inequality, because I feel like this is yes, my like my, my pet project or talking about <laughs> it just specifically. I know we're talking about what to do about sexism, but in terms of what to do about pay inequality, I know Ontario recently adopted this. I really hope BC gets on board in uh, posting pay for job advertisements. Oh. It's not something that's required in BC and it really leads to a lot of different offers, like a company based on the candidate will offer different amounts of pay. Um, you, you know, you don't go through the whole hiring process and then you find out what the job, like some do post, but it's not a requirement. And I think women need to seek out companies that adopt pay transparency Mm -hmm. and advocate for regular pay equity audits. And individually, I know the structure is rotten, but for yourself as a woman, advocate for your raises and promotions, like always ask for more money, always like go for as much as you can, because there's so many studies that show that women do not ask uh, for promotions as much as men. They don't negotiate as hard as men for salaries. And on average, I think women ask for 6% less when they are negotiating. So, you know, do the extra legwork. I know every time I go to negotiate pay, I Google like 17 articles to like hype myself <laughs> up to be like, women do not negotiate hard enough. You need to negotiate for that. So I, I think, you know, if there's anyone that is in a position to advocate for the legislation to be changed in BC about posting wages, that's a big thing too, because there's a, a systems level issue, there's individual level issues, but uh, pay inequality is a thing that impacts a lot of people. And there's st- like, 
concrete steps we can do to combat it. So I just wanted to add that into this as well. Um, for wrapping this up, do, I, yeah. do you have any more comments? Can I have a quote? No. Oh, oh, perfect. I was like, please have a quote, Molly. <laughs> oh my God. I love it so much. Okay. I have two quotes. Hopefully that's okay. They're not, they're not too long. So woman is not born. She is made in the making. Her humanity is destroyed. She becomes symbol of this symbol of that mother of the earth, slut of the universe, but she never becomes herself because it is forbidden for her to do so. And that is, uh, Andrea Dworkin and, my second quote is individual heterosexual women came to the movement from relationships where men were cruel, unkind, violent, unfaithful. Many of these men were radical thinkers who participated in movements for social justice, speaking out on behalf of the workers, the poor, speaking out on behalf of racial justice. However, when it came to the issue of gender, they were sexist as their conservative cohorts. And that was from Bell Hooks. So just to say, there's a lot of room for uh, meant to step in as allies on this issue on a lot of fronts. Um, something as simple as calling out a sexist joke to advocating for better legislation around pay transparency, do the work. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of ways to help improve the world. So, okay. On to a happier note, but yeah. what are we into this week? Do you, do you do have, you want to go first? I'll go first. Sure. Okay. Um, so I had a few notes, honestly, this was from a little while ago, but uh, we had Pride Weekend in Vancouver. So that was wonderful. I went to the Pride Parade in the like heat wave heat. It was unbelievable, uh, but it was just nice. I mean, the vibes were so lovely. It just, it felt really nice and post COVID to see everyone. I was post COVID, not a thing, but you know what I mean? Like we were all out, <laughs> there was a parade happening. It was wonderful. And then um, the ice cream place near me, uh, who does amazing vegan ice cream. Uh, I love them so much. They did pride ice cream sandwiches. They were like oh, rainbow ice cream sandwiches. Amazing. So that was stoking me up. And then the biggest news is my good friend had a baby girl. Congratulations. Yay! Yeah. So she is incredible. She is so cool. Like I just, I'm so excited for them. And yeah, just pretty, pretty incredible the whole thing. And I, I also am just very grateful to you and to her and my friends that have kids for always uh, including me in that. And also being real about what pregnancy entails and what happens, because, <laughs> you know, there's a lot to learn in that. So anyways, congratulations um, to her and just so excited for them to raise like an amazing person on the planet. So yeah, tell me, tell me what you're into. Oh my gosh. I also have a few um i guess my biggest news is that i successfully defended my master's thesis yes like a week and a half ago so that feels pretty awesome it went really well which is really nice because i did a practice run the week before that did not go well <laughs> so but that's why we practice and uh yeah the actual defense went super well and i dare i even say fun it was fun <laughs> So yeah, that's super great, exciting. A lot of hard work went into that, so it feels good. And then, oh my God, I have too many things to celebrate. Um, celebrate all of them. We just talked for an hour about depressing stuff. So tell true. me all your good things. Okay, the other good thing is planning like a last minute bestie getaway to Greece with my friend. So it's pretty last minute, like only started planning a couple weeks ago and we're leaving in like nine days. <laughs> I'll probably be in Greece when this episode drops. 
<laughs> but super excited for that. It's gonna be so nice. And like, I don't think I've ever traveled with a friend like on a real vacation. So that'll be a new experience and it'll be great. I'm so excited. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> uh, that's amazing. Those are two huge, incredible things. So yeah, my um, like type A personality is so impressed by your ability to like just decide and plan a holiday uh, overseas and go for it. So kudos to you. That's incredible. And also like defending your thesis. So amazing. <laughs> yes. I mean, I don't know if anyone's noticed like how much incredible uh, knowledge you bring to this, like, oh. and it's also being able to like come on here and do the research and chat about this stuff in the middle of prepping for your like master's defense <laughs> is pretty wild. So yeah, well done. I, I hope you celebrate all of these incredible things in Greece. I'm so excited to hear about it. I can't wait. <laughs> oh, the best. All right. Well, I think that maybe wraps us up for another episode, yeah. but now I'm deeply excited to talk about the scam of an empowerment. Culture. Yes. Oh my yeah. gosh, please. That'll be... <laughs> I was gonna say fun not fun but <laughs> I mean it is fun when I read these things and I was like I knew it I knew it like <laughs> yeah. you know so it's fun in the way that I think the more knowledge the hat the more knowledge that you have the more you can do to dismantle it and I don't know fight it so just that's what I'm telling myself or else I would just be eating those ice cream sandwiches all day and crying so <laughs> Which is okay to do sometimes too. <laughs> yes, not maybe not 24-7, not as useful. But yeah, all right. Well, until cool. next time, um, keep doing the good work and uh, call it sexism where you see it, if you feel comfortable. I'll work right. on that too. <laughs> uh, I need to as well. Thanks, Ellie. Thanks, Molly. Yay.